I guess it goes back to being kind of self-reflective. I would look at what part in this did I play? I think when there's relationships, there's a lot of emotion and it's really easy to put all the blame on the other person. And there's certainly cases where it's warranted, but even when that's said, I still think that you can look at what you could have done differently. Welcome to Trauma to Triumph, where our goal is to empower, inspire, and give you the means to stand up, take control of your life while embracing your inner badass. I'm thrilled you are here and wanting to be a part of this journey. In our sixth episode, I'm excited to introduce to you my client, dear friend, guest, and physical therapist, Laura Clothier. I initially met Laura when she decided to expand her practice. Little did I know I'd fall in love with her and her husband. They are amazing people, grounded, happy, healthy, and whole. Laura and Tim are role models for what a great marriage looks like. Laura is a stunning, like six foot something bombshell with the brain to boot. She's one of those people when she walks into a room, it's like, bam, presence noted. She's lighthearted, funny, serious, and thoughtful. And if you want honest feedback, she's the girl that's going to cut it to you straight. When I met Laura, I knew instantaneously that she scared the shit out of me in a good way and that she was going to be a friend for life. Laura and I are going to be jumping into sports, physical therapy, blended families, and a growing business. Yes, it's a lot, but one thing I really want you to listen for is how we are able to have tough conversations. Because if it's something that we all need help with is how to nail those tough conversations and how to allow people to have them so that we can get to the heart of what it is that we want. Let's get started. All right. I'm super excited. I have Laura on on the line here. We are actually going to talk about how she's come to business with Biojunction Physical Therapy, her background in volleyball and all things motherhood and wife and fun stuff. So before we get started, Laura, I would love to ask you, what is something crazy that nobody knows about you? Um, that's a fun question because as you know, I'm a pretty good open book. Um, yes. Something crazy. I think I'll have to go way back for that. (laughs) Um, Uh, gosh, you know, the first thing that came to mind is that I almost died when I was really little because I swallowed oven cleaner, had to go to the emergency room. uh, I've gotten a lot smarter since then. No worries, but (laughs) that's pretty crazy. What made you like, okay, first of all, how old were you when you swallowed oven cleaner? Oh gosh, I think I was like one and a half. A all long right. time. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't know. I talk about a lot of stuff. You ask me a question and I'll generally answer it. So when you were one, were you out in Eastern Washington at that time or were you? No, I um, was born in Walnut Creek, California. So okay. living outside of San Francisco until I was five um, and then moved up to Mercer Island and then all over Washington after that. Yes, you have mm-hmm. taken quite the tour of, of Washington from Eastern Washington back to Western Washington for sure. So um, one of the things that I love about watching and how we actually ended up meeting was through BioJunction and opening up a second location. Um, what made you decide to go into physical therapy? So I'd been an athlete my whole life. I started when I was five um, in gymnastics and Nobody in my family was really into sports. Um, 
my siblings were active, like they would water ski or snow ski, but they, they didn't really do sports. But my mom came to pick me up from kindergarten and I was doing cherry drop circles um, on the bar in the playground with no hands and I scared her. So she decided <laughs> to uh, enroll me in gymnastics so I'd learn how to fall. So I did gymnastics for five years and I, I just always gravitated towards sports and athletics. So uh, that morphed over the years to where I ended up focusing on volleyball and um, got good enough to get a full ride scholarship to a D1 uh, college. And while there, um, you spend a lot of time in the training room. So I just got really intrigued by injuries. You know, what's an ACL? Why are you doing an ultrasound? And I, I found myself asking lots of questions about it. Um, I think it also appeals to me because I've always been fascinated with mysteries. I started reading Nancy Drew books when I was five. And, uh, you know, as I got older, this was in the 80s, so I would watch Murder, She Wrote or Quincy MD or Magnum PI. And um, so it was a nice blend. Um, a love of sports, athletes, anatomy, and mysteries, I would say, is what drew me to physical therapy. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So did you decide that you wanted to go the physical therapy route when you were in college? Or was it something that, like, you're like playing volleyball and it was like something that drew you in at that point in time? Like, did you always know that you were going to go to school specifically for physical therapy or did it kind of change as you were playing sports? It changed quite a bit, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So my dad was a pilot for United Airlines and he loved being a pilot, really wanted one of his kids to be a pilot. So I was actually an aviation major my first year of college and did a little bit of flying, um, you know, simulator, going up with friends. I have, I don't know, I think I had like 25, 30 hours or something, but um, discovered pretty quickly that although I liked flying a lot, I didn't want to do it for a career because my dad was always gone, um, especially at the holidays. He was home for two Christmases my whole life. So um, I have this um, interest and curiosity that I've always had and that made it very difficult to decide on the one thing I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So when I switched majors, I thought briefly that maybe I wanted to do communications and be like a TV news anchor. So I switched for a quarter and I hated all the writing. So <laughs> so I kind of made this natural switch to exercise science. I was already pretty educated and I thought maybe I could do like corporate fitness or, you know, run a gym. Um, And I I liked everything I was learning, but as I got to learn more, I realized that it wasn't going to be intellectually challenging enough for me, that a year into the job or whatever, I would feel like I wasn't growing. Um, And I'm somebody that just likes new challenges. So I had been interested in physical therapy, but at the time, it was very, very difficult to get into PT school. A lot of people wanted to get in and there were limited spots. So I, um, I didn't fact check this, but I was told that it was more difficult to get into PT school than med school when I was in my, um, gosh, what would that have been? Maybe late, the late nineties or so. Um, but at that point I just realized that I really liked it and who cares how long it took to get in. Um, so I switched majors and took all the extra classes I needed and I got in the first year I applied. Of course you did. That's how long it rolls. (laughs) So, you know what's really funny? I don't know if you know this. So, for the audience, it's really interesting because Laura is actually my physical therapist as well. So, we started off 
with her being one of my clients. And then I was like, huh, doing a lot of sports. It's probably time to go see Laura. Um, And what's really interesting is that now she's like referred me to an orthopedic who is amazing. He's one of my favorite people. Actually, I switched my insurance specifically to make sure that I could see him. That's great. You you know, it's bad when you have to have an orthopedic on standby, right? (laughs) (laughs) But what was really interesting was that when I went to go see Dr. Steven Anderson, I was like, hey, I'm going to go see Laura. I'm really excited. We're going to do a podcast interview. And I don't know if you know this about yourself, but him and his wife had this like little joke about you. I don't know this. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you know, he goes, he goes, Laura, we have this thing we call pull a Laura. And I'm like, what's pull a Laura mean? And he goes, well, we were sitting in the car with her one time and she decides to back into this spot. And we were thinking there was no way in hell she was ever going to make it. And so she just puts her car in reverse and pops back in there. And so anytime that there's like a difficult situation and we need to have like no fear, we just say pull a Laura and that's what <laughs> happens. So I thought that was super cute and super sweet because, you know, if anybody knows Dr. Anderson, he's a little bit older. And so it's just really cute that him and his wife joke around and say, hey, let's pull a Laura. And that's how they conquer their fears. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. And I know the, I know what he was talking about. It was a really tight parallel parking spot, but it was right in front of the Beer Junction in West Seattle where we wanted to go. So I'm like, no problem. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great though. And it's funny because like talking about your going into the PT school and getting into it in your first year, like that just isn't surprising, right? And what I love about you and your presence is how much confidence you have. Um, It's something that I feel all women should have. It's the go in there. I don't really care. I'm going to do it anyways. And it's pretty inspiring. I just don't know, like, has it always been that way for you? Have you always just known that you could do whatever you want? Like, how did you cultivate that? So absolutely not. Um, This is going to be hard for you to believe. (laughs) incredibly, incredibly shy child. Um, Very self-doubting. I had a very strong father who I admired, um, looked up to, um, but he was, he was very tough to get close to. Um, He was, he was great about saying he loved us, but he also had extremely high expectations and it was very hard to meet them. Um, my mother, on the other hand, was extremely loving and accepting, and so they were polar opposites. So uh, as a quiet and shy child, I would observe my parents. I would observe the things that I liked about them and then try to emulate them. And I changed who I was probably about the age of 14. I really started wow. to change. Um, I do credit a lot of this with sports. Um, when you are not confident um, for a lot of reasons. I was very tall, as you know, um, mm-hmm. I was very skinny and uncoordinated. And then I was very smart. Um, so those are not cool things when you're in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> so I got made fun of a lot. Um, and once I started in high school, I made varsity as a freshman. And that was hard in some ways because I beat out a starting spot of a junior that was very popular. So there was some backlash there. But once I started having a lot of success in sports, people liked me more, embraced me more, accepted me more. Um, kind of an interesting comment on society, actually, if, now that I think about it. But um, that's where I gained probably a lot of my confidence. And there are a lot of people out there that don't do sports and 
that is fine. There, there are all types of ways to live your life and lots of um, people that make the world go round. But sports does so many more things than just work you out. Um, it teaches you how to push the boundaries of what you think you can do, both physically and mentally. Um, it teaches you, um, team sports especially, teach you how to work with others, even when you don't maybe like them. Um, how to take direction, coaching. Uh, there's so many values that I think that I gained from doing sports. So I guess that would be my answer. No, I, I, had, to, I had to learn it and I had to be open to that change. So I think, I think anybody can do that. It's amazing that you recognize that at the age of 14, to be able to come to that like vision or come to that idea is, is pretty phenomenal in itself just because at 14, I think a lot of us can say that we're pretty awkward and uncomfortable. And to overcome the idea that you t- taken out a junior and you still went in and performed and did the things that you did... Um, and seeing the success, because a lot of times, I mean, at the age of 14, which is all awkward, right? And all right. Very uncomfortable in our own skins. And to be able to perform with that awkward and uncomfortableness and to know that that's something that you had wanted to change inherently inside yourself is like, wow. So it, it's hard for me to even imagine you being uncoordinated. I'm like, play volleyball. Like, how can you be uncoordinated in like, <laughs> gymnastics? How can you be uncoordinated? Um, well, I was about five in, in eighth grade. I was about five, eight and about holy 110, shit. 110 pounds. <laughs> so I, I was all limbs and I couldn't control them. So I put on about 20 pounds between my eighth grade and ninth grade year. And that's when I started getting coordinated. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so with that being said, is this Tim play sports too? Uh, yes, it does. Golf, right? Yep. He's oh. probably one of the best natural athletes I know. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> we are a little bit competitive with each other. so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think the last time I saw Tim, he was actually getting ready to play basketball at the WAC. Yep. And so, yeah, I, I know he plays basketball, but I didn't realize that he was like a natural athlete. Yeah, he's just, um, we're similar in a lot of ways in that way. But I think that Tim's a much more intellectual athlete. He um, he sees things very well. So he's a point guard. Um, he is very disciplined. And so he didn't play other sports growing up because he loved basketball and didn't want to get hurt for basketball. But I think he would have been an amazing quarterback. Like even just watching sports, he'll call things before they happen. He sees things unfolding. Um, I think I had really good natural athletic ability and a hard work ethic and some other things. So I think we're a little, little bit different that way, but I guess this sums it up. I taught Tim how to play racquetball. He had never Mm -hmm. played before. I won the first game. I've never been able to beat him a second game. (laughs) (laughs) To my uh, frustration. So, (laughs) Oh, Mm -hmm. so I love, um, I love your, relationship. I think everybody does. Like whenever you look at you and Tim and like you post something on Facebook, like all the ladies are like, oh, this is my ideal couple. Like I want to be like you guys when we grow up. Um, (laughs) It's pretty awesome because the uh, relationship that you guys have is so sound. And again, watching you from your fearlessness to the ability to hold boundaries with friends and um, just the way that you and Tim interact 
How were you able to cultivate such healthy relationships with everything around you? Like what, I mean, most people don't just go in and like automatically have healthy relationships, right? Like we all kind of go through that learning process. Um, But one of the things that I really admire about you is your ability to call it as it is and to create really strong boundaries with both your friends and, you know, being able to travel without your husband and knowing that your husband is good and you're good and everybody's happy. Like, how do you do all of that? It's a lot of uh, communication. It's a lot of honesty. Um, Just for everybody listening that doesn't know me, um, I was married at 24 and divorced at 27. My husband was divorced twice before me. And I think that you can go through a divorce or a failed relationship and be doomed to repeat your mistakes, or you can learn from them. So anytime a relationship fails, I, I'm, I guess it goes back to being kind of self-reflective. I would look at what part in this did I play? I think when there's relationships, there's a lot of emotion, and it's really easy to put all the blame on the other person. Um, and there's certainly cases where it's warranted. But even when that said, I still think that you can look at what you could have done differently. So uh, for me in my first relationship, um, I was really afraid of conflict. I avoided it at all cost. And the way I describe it sometimes is that it's like having this, uh, you know, mountain in the carpet that you, you stuff all your problems in and you don't say anything about it. You walk around it, right? You keep walking around it. You put your stuff, more problems in until pretty soon it gets so big, you can't get by it anymore. And then it's not fixable and it ends in divorce. So I realized that that was my pattern and um, that I was going to work to change that. But that's really hard. Um, that was probably one of the most difficult things about my own personality I had to overcome. So dating Tim, he's exactly the opposite. He is not afraid of confrontation at all. And of all the people that I've met in my life, he can be the most level-headed and unemotional in a conflict. And that gave me the power to know it was going to be okay. I used to think, oh, we fought, we're going to break up. Like one fight, done. And he would make me fight him. (laughs) He would make (laughs) me tell him what I'm thinking. I couldn't say, oh, it's fine. Um, So there was a learning curve there. What I I would say that I was maybe not very fair the other way um, until I figured out how to express myself, um, do it when I'm thinking it instead of when I've stewed on it so much that I've got a lot of emotion tied to it. Because I still am at my heart, an emotional person. Um, so I would say I learned a lot from him, but I have translated that into other parts of my life. So being a business owner of 15 people, I will have conflict. Um, and whether it's between employees or an unhappy client, um, it's going to happen. So avoiding it does not solve it. Um, but addressing it head on, even an uncomfortable conversation, I've just discovered is way less painful than if you wait, don't return the phone call or hope it goes away. It just gets worse. So I think that's it. Just, you know, one benefit of being in your forties is I feel like you get a lot kinder about yourself, um, more forgiving. I've, I've found it easier to say I'm wrong or I'm sorry, or even if I think somebody is 
98% wrong in a given situation that if I own that 2%, they're willing to maybe come a little bit towards my side, you know? So I don't know. I guess that's it. Trial and error. (laughs) (laughs) Trial and error is how I came about it. (laughs) I love the forgiving and being graceful to yourself and being kind to yourself because I feel like that's definitely the journey that I'm on right now of like not really beating myself up so much. And I wish that I could take that and like give it to people before they have to hit their 40s or before they have to go through so much like, you know, trauma before they start to learn how to give themselves grace. But it's one of the biggest things I feel like we do, especially for women, where we don't really allow ourselves to have the grace to learn and be comfortable or be uncomfortable and have those tough conversations without having like real friction and issues with it. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I thought was really cool, I noticed that you had recently gone to Europe with your um, stepdaughter. Yep. Yep. So your relationship with your stepkids is like freaking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like sitting there, I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. Like, I want to go to Europe with my kids. And she's like traveling around the world with, you know, your, your grown-ass stepkids. And I'm like, that's freaking awesome to have that kind of relationship. So I don't know about you, but I don't really see too many step-parents who just pick up and take off for a few weeks to go and travel. Like, do you have a lot of friends that do that? Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'm just making sure because I'm like, I know it's not just me, right? (laughs) Um, So I want to go and explore what it's like to be a step-parent because I think it's like one of those big things that we've talked about before um, while I was in PT. Um, (laughs) But... What I appreciate is your ability. Again, those strong boundaries are just so huge. Um, Not having your kids call you mom because they have a mom. Right. That's a topic I would love to talk about. Okay. Well, um, when I started dating my husband, um, his kids were 13, 11, 5, and 3. The 13 and 11-year-old had one mom and the five and three-year-old had a different mom. Um, I was raised in a family where my parents were married through till my father passed away. And my mom had been married before. And I have three step uh, kids, three step, three half, half sisters, two half sisters and a half brother. There we go. I'll figure it out. The reason that's hard for me to figure out is I don't think of them that way. I never have. Um, I was raised with my sisters. Uh, I got to know my brother when I was about 17. My dad was always so gracious with my mom's ex-husband. Without going into reasons there, he had a reason not to be. And he accepted him and and didn't have any animosity toward him. And I, I admired that. And I felt like that's how it should be. You know, me coming into this picture, this is... My husband's past and it's made him who he is today. I have my own past that's made me who I am today. Um, that being said, for anybody out there that is dealing with um, ex-husbands, ex-wives, and stepkids, it is not the easiest thing. Um, but I do think that I'm lucky because Tim has a good relationship with both of his ex-wives. I think that is huge because the kids then don't feel like they have to choose sides. 
They're not a pawn in the middle. Um, they can't, you know, not, not like me because that would be betraying their mom. There was never any of that. So I'm grateful for that. I also think that it depends a little bit on your unique situation. My stepkids' moms were very good moms who were very involved in their lives. We had them uh, every other weekend and then uh, for a long period of time um, during holidays. And then as they got older, they actually did move in with us when they were going through college and then post-college. So it's evolved and changed um, throughout the years. But I've always tried to be what I call a responsible go-between, like a responsible adult. So if my stepson was misbehaving, I wouldn't necessarily correct him. I would say, hey, would your dad want to see you doing that? Like I would kind of put it back on them. That being said, there are absolutely times where you have to parent. Um, And I'm certainly going to parent a 13-year-old different than a three-year-old. So just knowing that they're in a difficult situation themselves, not trying to compete, not trying to you know, figure out who won or who's right. Um, taking the high road a lot. There were times where I had to do that, where I felt like something was going on that I didn't agree with or would go a different direction with, but um, picking your battles. And ultimately that really paid off in the long run. So every situation is different. I can't pretend that my situation is the way everybody should um, behave in their own situations. But my stepkids are all four amazing people. Um, My stepdaughter turned 21 and we did a trip to Greece and Italy. And um, both of my younger stepkids are visually impaired. So she wouldn't have been able to do that by herself. She needed somebody with her. Um, and we had the best time. She was a, an awesome little travel partner, super laid back. We had plans that were set, but we also kind of had things that we left up to how we felt that day. And she was just down for whatever. So I would, um, I look forward to the next one we can take together. It's awesome. So you never had them call you mom? Nope. If they had wanted to, then I would have allowed it, but they had a mom. Um, my, <laughs> my name being Laura, one of the kids, and we actually can't remember if it was Brian or Josh, but started calling me Lairs. <laughs> it was just an affectionate term. So um, they often call me Lairs, especially when they're wanting to be affectionate. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I don't really care about labels, I guess. It doesn't matter to me what you call me. Um, well, that's not entirely true. I would <laughs> at some things, but, um, I would also say that about work. So I have my doctorate in physical therapy. Um, <laughs> physical therapists have gone through an evolution in the last 20 years. So before 1999, to be a physical therapist, you needed a bachelor's degree. Um, in 1999, they changed it to where you had to have at least a master's. So there were some master's programs already in existence. So all the bachelor programs that converted to master's programs called themselves MPTs or masters of physical therapy. All the master's programs that had existed before were miffed and felt that they were the true masters. So they designated themselves an MSPT, master of science of physical therapy. 
Well, then, and also 1999, we had the first doctoral program in um, the United States, which was Creighton University. So there, and honestly, I haven't checked back on this, but there was a, a plan in place to have everybody, every program in the U.S. convert to a doctoral program. So I could go by doctor at work if I wanted to, but I didn't feel right about it. Here I was coming out of school, the first doctoral class in the state of Washington. So there were literally no PTs in the state of Washington that had their doctorate at the time. This was 2002. Going to a clinic where everybody had 10 years experience, I felt that that would be really out of place to insist everybody calls me doctor. So I didn't. Um, As a business owner, I have one employee who's been a physical therapist for twice as long as I have. (laughs) Maybe not, not, but maybe very long time. And he doesn't have his doctorate. So I'm not going to go by doctor. And I would prefer my other employees don't as well, because that makes it seem that somehow he's less educated, less experienced than we are. Once everybody is on the same playing field, then I don't mind if you call me that. Um, One of the arguments by the APTA, um, American Physical Therapy Association, is that um, it puts us in a different uh, light with doctors and insurance companies and patients if they think, oh, this is a doctor and they're telling me that. So every now and then I might get a patient where I'm having a difference of opinion and they'll say, well, my chiropractor told me this and he's a doctor. (laughs) And for the record, I love chiropractors and I have an extensive network of chiropractors that I refer to and work with closely. Um, but for the patient that says that, I would say, well, just so you know, uh, your chiropractor has a doctor of chiropractic, which is a clinical doctorate. I have my doctorate in physical therapy, which is also a clinical doctorate. I just don't go by that. Sometimes, very, very few times I've had to say that to get them to hear what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. For some people, titles matter more. And for right. those people, maybe we should all shift as a um, as an occupation. But I just, I don't think that that should happen before the playing field is level, in my opinion. I hear you. Hot buttons for Laura. <laughs> <laughs> We've had this discussion before, so it's not surprising that it comes up. It's, it's interesting for me because as I hear some of the chiropractic... Um, and you know, just from billing and everything else, and that's a whole different conversation. But just the way that chiropractic works versus physical therapy, it's very interesting to see the dynamics there, for sure. Well, one thing I would say is that it's like any other field. There are chiropractors that are sports chiropractors that do very, very close things to what I do. I have a really close friend who is one, and we don't refer a lot to each other because we do a lot of the same thing. I think the big thing is she doesn't treat anybody post-surgical and I don't manipulate the spine. <laughs> so <laughs> if we have somebody that needs those kinds of things, then we refer uh, to each other. Um, I have another chiropractor that I think is one of the best diagnosticians I know. His ability to make connections when they're not evident, um, I go to him when I'm stumped. So I really believe in healthcare that the more disciplines you're willing to embrace, the more likely you are to find what's going to work for you. And what might work for you one time might not work for you another time. Um, so I'm a firm believer in being part of a team and putting your heads together. And I, I think that there are times where 
physical therapy is not appropriate for whatever reason at the same time that I might think chiropractic is not appropriate for a patient for whatever reason. Um, and for one patient, maybe it's personality or what they're comfortable with. I might send them to an acupuncturist or a naturopath or a massage therapist or a personal trainer. I mean, I refer to a lot of people that there's a lot of overlap. So chiropractors can be a sports chiropractor that's really similar to physical therapists. They can be mostly just an adjusting chiropractor that you only see for a few minutes. They can be an upper cervical chiropractor that believes more in adjusting the upper cervical and that that fixes everything below it. So it really, if you've had a bad experience with chiropractic, it might just not have been a good fit for you. And I can tell you firsthand that when I've been unable to fix myself, a chiropractor has gotten me out of it. um, And I'm very grateful for that. That's awesome. It's challenging for people to even know where to start with that. So when you are... I mean, for me, I'm lucky because I just, I mean, I know you, right? So <laughs> right. I'm like, hey, you know, like I don't really need to worry about it because I'm always in good hands. Orthopedic, anybody can find. I have the <laughs> best like physical therapist. And if I need a chiropractor, I've got like the referral for when I need one and when it's appropriate to have one. So for the people who have never actually had to go and search on their own or having to go through that journey, what's the best way of finding a good physical therapist for their market or a good chiropractor? Like where would you, like, it's so confusing to go and look online yeah. and try to figure out like who's who. And like, it's not like you can go and Yelp and, you know, see the recommendations often because it's like, there's so many different ways of like really understanding um, who's actually good. Well, I wish I had a great answer for you. And the, <laughs> the real answer is that it's not straightforward. Um, and people find different paths to me. I would say that if you have a good doctor that you like, they have their pulse usually on physical therapists in the area. Um, One question that I get a lot is, do I need a doctor's referral to come and see you? And the answer is, we uh, in the state of Washington are what's called a direct access state. So you can go see any physical therapist without a doctor's prescription. However, some insurances require a prescription for them to pay for it. Mm-hmm. It gets confusing. I won't go into all the individual um, insurances, but it's best to know your insurance really well to call up and find out if that's the case. Um, I personally believe that physical therapists that operate in a one-on-one model is my preference to physical therapists that operate in a team approach. What that means is that if you come and see me, you'll see me the whole time, 45 minutes, one-on-one, it'll be you and me. I have worked briefly in situations where I have physical therapy assistance and aids, and I know some really great physical therapy assistance and aids. And I think that people definitely can get better in their care. I'm only speaking now from the standpoint of a physical therapist that I felt when I was in that model that I didn't really get to treat very much. I, I did evaluations and I managed people and I filled out paperwork. And that's not what I got into physical therapy for. And I found that if somebody was really complicated, if I only had five to 10 minutes with that person, I don't have the time to actually think through and problem solve. 
So for my personal, I prefer to be one-on-one with a physical therapist. Um, Physical therapy assistants go through almost the same training that physical therapists go through. They're just not allowed to evaluate. And the longer a physical therapist, a physical therapy assistant has been um, one, the continuing education we do is the same. Um, So therefore, they can be as good or maybe even better than another physical therapist based on the um, continuing education they've done and in the company they work for, how much support they get. The problem with the team approach is that some companies use that as an excuse to get as many people through the door as possible. Because if I have a team where I'm a physical therapist and then I have a physical therapy assistant whose patients I oversee because I have to evaluate every so many visits, um, and then there's an aide, that means that we can have three people there and you only have to pay one person top dollar for being a physical therapist. You can pay the assistant less and the aide even less. So then there's this rotation that occurs where, you know, maybe I come, maybe the aide sees them back and does an ultrasound and then maybe the physical therapist comes in and asks how you're doing and, and does a, a mobilization. And, and I'm making this up because every visit could be different. And then maybe uh, I then say, well, you know, I'm going to have you see my physical therapy assistant now. Gosh, you know, for me, I don't really want to tell my story three times. When they say, how was your weekend? Well, like I told the aide, I was running stairs and I bought it. So I, I understand the reason companies go to the model. I understand it's more, um, you can make more money financially. Um, I will never, if I, as long as I can stay in business, <laughs> I will never go to that model because I don't enjoy trading in that model. Um, but you know what? There's all kinds of of people that get hurt and for the kid that just sprained his ankle in a soccer match and, you know, they're going to get better and, and probably need a minimum of oversight. But I just on Thursday typed up a five page evaluation that took me an hour and 15 minutes to go through because his medical history is so complicated. And I don't feel like that person would do well in a team model. My, my personal opinion. So. Which is why I love what you do and the reason why you started doing what you do because you did work in a team model. And for me, being a mom, being an athlete, I'm really, I would say, particular about who I let work on me and who I allow to be in this space of care because I don't like going to the big organizations where there's not one-on-one because I'm like, man, for the dollars that we're paying and for the things that we do, you want to know that the person that you have is going to see you from start to finish that understands all of your nuances. And granted, there's times when like the, the corporate model works, but what I love about the reason why you started BioJunction was, and I'm speaking for you, <laughs> but is so that you could provide the care that you are providing the one-on-one from start to finish and not having like multiple people that I have to interact with. Um, And it's great because it's like, oh, you know, when something happens, I'm like, Laura, I think I did this. And like, you already know, like, oh, I potentially broke my ankle like a year ago and I've like done this and I've done that. Oh, she's doing, (laughs) she's doing kickboxing now. Great. Like, I kind of know what's going on. And it's great because that personalized attention is just huge. And I just know that with like the way that insurance has gone, that a lot of people have shifted to the bigger organizations because it's how they're able to stay in business. But 
for the ones that are still operating um, the way that you are, I would challenge the people that are listening to look for these smaller offices that are doing that kind of work because the type of relationship and the type of understanding that they have for your body is just going to be so different in my opinion. My opinion too. (laughs) (laughs) So with that being said, um, going into, I see that there's a lot of things that you're really passionate about. And I remember seeing a post recently um, when you're driving, I think back from Eastern Washington and there was like a billboard up and you were like a little bit shocked and you were a little bit upset. Um, And I don't know if you remember that post. I think I was driving back from Seaside, Oregon. And for anybody that lives on this side of the state and has driven on I-5, it's a, well, very opinionated, (laughs) I'll say, billboard that has gone on for years. It was a, um, a man that would put up his political messages and then he passed away and his son took it over. And, um, you know, I, I really hedged to talk politics because, and this was actually on my mind this morning. Um, I was thinking that we are all the products of our experiences. So the things that we believe in are going to have a lot to do with what we've experienced, how we grew up, what our parents, our families, our cultures are. So I think it's really, oh, hard to expect everybody in this world to see things the same way. If we can't all agree that Brussels spouts are terrible, then how are we going (laughs) to agree on gun control, abortion rights, on immigration law, on all the hot buttons that that we're disagreeing with right now? So this particular billboard though, I felt stepped over the line. Um, and maybe that was the intention. Maybe the intention was to get people talking. Um, I just think you can do it in a way that is respectful. Um, I can speak with people who disagree with me and genuinely want to understand where they're coming from. And even at the end of the day, if I still disagree, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I still believe that we can each live our life and be happy and be nice to each other. But Anytime your beliefs preach any sort of hate, um, that bothers me. So that was, uh, that was the hot button I think you're referring to. Yes. Yeah. So with that being said, what is one thing that you wish people would do more of to make this world a little bit better place? I wish they would listen more. I think so many people are so concerned about being right, that their way is the right way. Um, The people I know that travel a lot and really immerse themselves in other cultures and see other ways of living this life, I think are the people that are more willing to do that. I think when you have had less experiences and you've, you've been exposed to only a certain way of life or culture beliefs, it's, it's easier to think that that's how everybody should think, or that's how it should be around the rest of the world. But I, I grew up on Mercer Island for five years of my childhood. I grew up in Buckley, Washington for five years, or sorry, nine years. Um, those are two very different um, cities. And because of that, to this day, I'm just as comfortable going into a dive bar and singing karaoke with the locals as I am <laughs> sitting in a conference with multimillionaires. Um, 
And it doesn't have to be that my life looks like their life, but because I've been exposed to both of those, I'm comfortable with it. And I, I think the world would be a better place if more people would be willing to do that. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. And thank you for sharing with us your story and how you've done the things that you've done. It's amazing. Well, thanks for asking me, Kim. You're an amazing woman yourself. Oh, <laughs> awesome. So if people are looking for you, where can they find you? So my company is Biojunction Sports Therapy. Um, It often gets called Biojunction Physical Therapy because that is what we do. Um, I named it Sports Therapy because I wanted to attract a more active clientele. But we see all kinds of people from all kinds of background. Um, We accept Medicare. Um, We're starting to accept some of the state-funded plans. Um, My website is biojunction.com. So www.biojunction.com. And um, I have two locations, one in West Seattle and one in Wallingford. Yay. And can they follow you? Do you have a public like Instagram or Facebook page? Yep. Public, uh, all of that. (laughs) Awesome. So I will definitely add that into the show notes so that people can find you and follow you. And I appreciate your time. And she is the best physical therapist ever. So that's my plug. My no pressure. <laughs> For sure. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Kim. You can see why Laura is one of my everyday heroes. She's fierce. She's definitely a lioness and is incredible at what she does. Between being an amazing human, wife, stepmother, grandmother, friend, she's also, in my opinion, the best sports physical therapist that I probably frequent more than I should. If you'd like to follow her, you can find her on Instagram at Laura Clothier, all one word, L-O-R-A-C-L-O-T-H-I-E-R, or on Facebook at Laura Clothier. If you're needing a physical therapist and are in the Seattle area, please support a local woman-owned business and give her some love at Biojunction Sports Therapy, www.biojunction.com. Laura's message was important for me to share because unhealed trauma directly impacts the quality of our life. When you take the time to heal trauma, the quality of relationships we are able to experience is night and day. Whether it be Laura, Melinda, Dr. DeMars, Kyrie, and more, these are people who've done the work and are in happy, healthy, quality relationships. I find that what I love watching is the man who celebrates his wife and the wife who celebrates her husband and honors him. There's nothing more sexy and beautiful and when you can see an unbreakable bond because they're united by a strong foundation. There are so many times when I have these conversations with clients that make me wonder, why don't you just tell him? Why don't you just tell her? The ability to have tough conversations is more than just having them. We have to start asking ourselves, what are we doing to be approachable? Are we allowing the person to feel safe when they communicate or are their own triggers preventing them to do so? How do we communicate this in a way that allows us to honor what we need and move forward. It's work. It's doing it consistently in the right way that will allow us to have the connection and love we really want. But we have to not only stick our toes in the water, but dive in while removing our ego. My hope is that you found this episode helpful, that after listening to it, it has given you the strength to have the tough conversations you've been holding out on, not because you're worried about how they're going to feel, but you're excited about what's going to come by having it. If you found this episode helpful, please help this new girl out, subscribe to Trauma to Triumph in iTunes, and leave me a review. 
If you want to connect even further, come to my site, which is kimbao.co, K-I-M-B-A-O.co, C-O, not com, and drop me a question or let me know what resonated. There's always room to improve, and I would love to hear the feedback you have for me and be able to connect. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you, your insight, your willingness to hear another perspective to add to your arsenal of amazing tools you already have. Enjoy right now, and we'll see you at the next episode. Much love.